We all know that developing a great game is one thing, but developing a great game business can be something else entirely. That's why some of the top game developers in the industry use Iron Source's game growth platform to turn their amazing games into amazing game businesses. Now, when it comes to content, these guys don't mess around. You may have heard of the Level Up podcast and Medium blog, which feature game industry experts talking all things game design, development, and growth. Head to ironsource.com to learn more. That's www.ironsrc.com. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Twig 77 on the podcast today. We do have a full house. Myself, Joe Kim, Adam Telfer, the Mishka Katkoff, back from a little absence, and Eric, the money man, Chris. All right. Wow. Adam got nothing. Adam, <laughs> the Canadian. Adam, you deserve nothing, dude. Come on. <laughs> Fuck off, Eric. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna we're gonna roll right into updates because we got a bunch of updates and I have a real quick one. So the one update I have is as reported by Ars Technica, a federal judge last week ruled that Activision has a First Amendment right to include Humvees in its Call of Duty titles. The Humvee manufacturer AM General sued them for trademark infringement back in 2017. So a 1989 legal precedent ruled that artistic works could make reference to outside trademarks as long as the usage was relevant to the work and did not explicitly mislead as to the source of the content or work. And if people remember, Activision was also sued by Panamanian dictator Manuel Noriega for the use of his likeness in Call of Duty Black Ops 2. And they won that ruling as well, again, based on First Amendment right to free expression. Anyway, good news for the industry so that we can use more more shit, and congrats to Activision. All right. <laughs> Who's up next? Updates. What's going um, on? I don't know if, if everybody was paying attention, but um, on Sunday, April 5th, uh, eSports got its time to shine um, now because basically all sports are canceled. Uh, ESPN2 is streaming eSports, to, I guess, to test its impact. Um, so all day Sunday, I think for about 12 hours, there was Rocket League, NBA 2K, Madden, FIFA, um, uh, F1 eSport, all getting its time on the network. Um, can, I just, can I just say that eSports, if it was on a respirator before, and actually I shouldn't use that word, I suppose, given politically correctness, but this thing is dead now, right? Like if you can't have events, like you can't have eSports, right? That's probably the only thing that makes money in the whole ecosystem is these events, right? So yeah. <laughs> this is going to be, oh, devastating for... Activision's esports and all the rest of them. What was the but, other weird thing? Oh, and um, uh, Madden uh, EA is actually looking to simulate uh, the uh, draft for the NFL. So you, <laughs> there'll be these like three D avatars coming in, <laughs> coming in and accepting their their draft, uh, whatever, like going accepting their teams, um, all virtually through their Madden system. So I don't know, weird stuff. Um, also from, uh, Roundhill Investments, um, they've mentioned on, over on Twitter, Mixer is struggling, um, especially when you get viewership comparison to YouTube and Twitch. But since about Q3 2019, which is when Ninja joined, total hours of watch has been dropping roughly about 20% since then. What? Yeah. So Mixer is not happening. Wait, so Mixer, after all this money they spent on Ninja and those other guys, is not really seeing any type of improvement? Not seeing viewership improvements. God, Ninja's a genius. Yeah. <laughs> so keep in mind, Q3 2019 as one package. And then comparing that to now, it's 20% drop. Wow. Wow, that's not good news. 
Um, biggest news of the week came from Sony. Last of Us Part Two and Iron Man VR have both been delayed indefinitely. Um, reading into this, we were in the midst of fixing our final bugs, and due to logistics, we couldn't launch Last of Us Part Two to our satisfaction, which sounds like Sony just can't get the physical units ready in time for launch, uh, and they believe this would be a massive hit to the units of their title at launch. Eric? Yeah, now my interpretation of this is a little bit different. I think they didn't want to release one of their biggest IPs without support at retail, right? Because retail is pretty much shut down. Um, and it, it could be a logistical issue with the physical units, maybe. But ultimately, I just don't think they want to do a pure digital launch because they just launched MLB all digital, right? You know, like, so it's not like they couldn't get it done. Um, and the game seems to be done. So... Anyway, this actually may be a help boost, um, you know, the the next generation launch potentially because I don't think there's a lot of content uh, available that really showcases the tech as much. So maybe they can help. Maybe this pushes it out to that kind of time frame. I don't know, but uh, sucks because that's a that's an amazing game, and I think, frankly, it could do really well digital only, right? So these some of these games coming out right now are killing it. You know, you know, Animal Crossing and uh, MLB had a great strong strong launch. I bet Resident Evil 3, uh, the remake, sells off the shelves. So this coming out all digital would um, would obviously push digital in a huge way for most of the customers. And maybe that that's also why they don't want to piss off retail by releasing it now. So anyway, I think they're, that's part of the decision matrix as well, not just logistics. Yeah, they don't want to cut out all those retailers from all the stuff that they signed with them. Yeah. Um, some self-serving news. Uh, my old founding team, now called Starberry Games, actually raised $1.1 million. Uh, this was led by by founders and supported by Play Ventures. So thanks, Miska. Um, this was based on Idle Coffee's success. So uh, they're going after the Idle simulation market from Berlin, next door to Calibri. Um, so huge congrats to Jeremy, Antti, and Samir. Uh, also, another deconstructor writer, Mika, is celebrating this week. Light Heart Entertainment closed a 1.3 million dollar or million euro round based on the success of their game, Mr. Autofire. So two big successful raises this week. Um, my last update, Activision surprise launched Modern Warfare 2 um, remastered. This is a surprise launch, um, which doesn't really seem optimal for a single player product, but seems Activision wants to strike while it's hot. Um, likely getting a big bump from people just sitting at home, but doesn't seem like the optimal launch, especially right next to Warzone, which is now dropping since its launch um, with big streamers like Dis Dr. Disrespect now switching off um, to go to CSGO, Overwatch, etc. They will need to focus, I think, on Modern Warfare's live. Um, but yeah, it just doesn't seem like an optimal launch. Eric? Yeah, I, 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 I this pretty much came out of nowhere and I should have known about this type of thing beforehand. I mean, I think it's like a 4 million unit seller, maybe six tops. Uh, it's only on PS4 right now. So they have a month long exclusive on PS4, which I think is kind of weird for this kind of skew. It should be just you know, worldwide all, all over every platform. Um, but it'll come to PC and Xbox next month. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, I mean, take advantage of people when they're home. You know, single player, twenty dollar experience. Uh, I would have waited maybe a little bit uh, to get away from Warzone. How, what are you seeing on Warzone? I haven't really been following. Mostly anything. just Twitch numbers. Like they've dropped off of. Like they used to be number one on Twitch. Now they've passed CS:GO. 
Um, I don't know. I don't remember the exact number, but, and then you also watch all the key streamers that of course they paid, but are now starting to jump off to other products. Right. Well, I mean, I think Valorant came out, right? How do you pronounce that? Valorant. Valorant, sorry. So Valorant came out also. That might have hurt them a little bit in terms of viewership. Um, and that actually is the next story. So so Riot finally comes out with a game, right? Their first of, of six they have in development. And and by all by all measures, everyone's feedback is really, really positive on the game. It's basically a baby of Overwatch and CSGO with, you know, taking the five of BB5 and then adding character classes like Overwatch. And the character classes seem pretty deep in, in, in general. So... The tech, technology seems to be working pretty well, which was a concern from some people. Um, and you know, overall, they've had a really solid launch, so uh, or at least a solid closed alpha. So the open beta is coming up soon, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've got a beta code now, so it comes out tomorrow. I'll start playing then. Um, but no, it, it's pretty impressive. Like it's a pretty strong um, foot forward here. Um, like on Friday, they got one million peak concurrent viewers on Twitch watching non-live footage of a game that hasn't even been played right like like they, they didn't even pay streamers and they got a million peak concurrent viewers um and yeah i, I just think that their, their first steps are going to be strong like looking at the game itself it looks like it's going to be extremely high skill um so low ttk even people saying that it's lower ttk than csgo that's time to kill um with pretty deep map and purchasing strategy, like as we, we talked about with like heroes, purchasing weapons, et cetera, like CSGO, which is likely why streamers absolutely love it. Like there's just a lot for them to talk and teach about. Um, but for me personally, I'm just gonna get destroyed. Yeah, <laughs> that's the first thing I think about. I'm just, uh, okay, I, there's no way I'll be competitive on this one. Yeah. This, is, this is like me and Tarkov, like, okay, I understand it, but I'm not gonna stick around. <laughs> um, yeah, we've knocked them on the podcast here before, especially on their monetization approach. But going for streaming first during their development process looks like it's going to pay dividends. Like, uh, uh, not, uh, basically not only paying these streamers at launch, they're also going to be organically singing praises because they're actually a part of that dev process, giving feedback all along the way. Sorry, all along the way. So similar to Apex and Warzone, um, especially with Riot and Tencent's reach, we could see a massive audience come over to this game. Um, CSGO's audience on its own is massive. Um, over a million CCUs currently, that's not DAO, and is still the number three game on Twitch ahead of Apex, Call of Duty, Fortnite, despite being launched in 2012. So there is a massive audience that has been relatively untouched by Apex and COD and Fortnite that this could tap into. Um, but in terms of retention, I think that's a real big question around Valorant. Um, I think it was smarter to try to eat into CSGO audience instead of Apex. Um, but uh, the keys that I'm really going to be watching for when I play is just their live content cadence around things like events, weapons, meta changes, and their competitive framework, uh, leagues and tiers, as well as this deep weapon skin system that they're pushing, um, whether or not all these ingredients on their own can keep players engaged. Um, but as we've talked about before, in terms of monetization, they're going extremely light, just going for a retention-first approach, monetization coming far later. Um, this will uh, really have to be highly engaging in order for them to build up that revenue base. So it all comes down to how much of that CSGO audience um, that are new players for them, they can actually steal and retain versus how much of their own league audience, you know, gets cannibalized. Um, but I would expect uh, a lot of very rich CSGO streamers in the near future. Mm. 
do you think do you think that during this time when there's no <clears throat> no events happening no esports events is it good or bad for for launching this game i mean on the other hand there's no events so there's no no big CS:GO events going on so you can kind of capture the audience but on the uh, on the flip side riot can can use their own esports division to push this game so is it good or bad for them well i, I think for riot they they need to avoid using their league of legends channels to advertise this game, right? Yeah, like they don't yeah, want to be they pulling have a, over league fans. They want to. I, be I understand. I understand, but they have like an esports uh, division. I mean, they yeah. have a group of people who are specialized and and have the whole production system to to actually push this, and they have the venues and whatnot. So I'm just wondering, like, if this is a good for them or bad that CS:GO can't uh, arrange their events. Actually, neither of them can do events. Yeah, so typically those events would drive a lot of re-engagement into those games. Mm -hmm. So it gives them a bit of a bigger window. Uh, okay. I, I see okay. the thing that's going to impact them more is just like how close of an overlap they were to the Warzone launch. Um, mm -hmm. Even though they're different audiences, still um, you're competing over the same streamers, you're competing over the same... Yeah, but uh, Warzone, Warzone doesn't seem to have any longevity. I mean, it's, it's kind of like... There's no, there's no really progression system. It's, it's beautiful, amazing, and fun to play, but it's kind of, you know, there's, there's nothing there. No, yeah, it has the battle pass. It has pretty much everything that Apex has. Um, who ha who I, doesn't I have a continue. battle pass? Even Heyday Pop has a battle pass. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Even Heyday Pop has a battle pass. <laughs> Anyways, um, let's move forward. Let's, let's focus on Riot. The first right, article right, oh is God. Team Fight this Tactics. Is, oh my, I love this. I'm gonna say up front. I don't know why, but I love this game, and I don't play. I don't play League of Legends. I don't play. I don't play League of Legends at all. I hated that game. It was too difficult, and the people who played it were assholes. And um, and I don't play any of these auto chess games. And I started playing this, and I cannot quit. I play this every day. I fucking watch YouTube videos. I've been I've been pinging all the gamers here at work to, for them to tutor me and tell me what to do. This game is amazing. But sorry, Adam, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, based on your review of Call of Duty Mobile, then we know that this game is basically doomed. So now we know. <laughs> You've heard it here first. Now that Miska likes your game, Team Fight Tactics, it's all over. Okay, April 5th. <laughs> wow, that sounded like a comment from me, dude. Yeah. Sorry, this game has no monetization. By the way, this game has zero monetization. I don't even know how to pay in this game. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Anyways, uh, so yeah, as of yesterday, um, it's now at about 5.4 million downloads, roughly about 20 days from its launch. Um, so just to kind of put it in perspective of all the different auto chess games, uh, it actually has, it's, um, it's the biggest auto chess launch compared to Dota Studios, roughly 1 million in its first week and Teamfight had 3.6 million in its first week. Also stressed a bit of a difference or a big difference between Riot and Valve. Dota Underlords, which is Valve's auto chess equivalent, launched months earlier on mobile, only reached about 100k downloads in this time frame. Um, so really, Riot has the leverage over the largest audience. And when you're competing in a cosmetic-focused economy, that's really all that matters. RPI thus far has been low, as expected, uh, roughly about 24 cents in three weeks, which is actually higher than I expected it to be. Um, auto chess uh, was roughly about 65 cents during this time, but capped out at one buck and never actually got higher than that. Uh, but this is early and TFT clearly commands multiple sized audience uh, compared to auto chess and underlords. Um, but 
Low RPI likely due to just a limited implementation in the build. Seems like they've really only implemented the Battle Pass monetization, which the new season just launched. Um, as well, they only have about a they only have a phone version, not a tablet version. Um, so still lots to do for the game. So it seems and, like they, they and from the data and from the data because it's a season pass, it's all front end loaded, right? Revenue is yeah. actually coming down significantly. You know. Yep. So they're going to get a whole bunch of upfront payments and not a lot going forward and, until they start implementing spend up systems or a direct purchase shop or something. And the, the, to the extent that people are churning out, they're not going to be coming back to spend, right? Yeah. For the next season. Yep. Um, they did a good job on the mobile version, though, in terms of engagement and retention. Like, uh, this is their first game on mobile. It plays very well, despite being stripped down. Only issues in some sequences that are clearly built mostly for mouse and PC. Like when you actually have to micro control your little unit and pull heroes in from a pool, this is just kind of weird and hard to control on mobile and likely just a design choice to surface your cosmetics and feel different, but does not really make well for a mobile friendly version. Um, but overall, I like the choice that they made to fully sync your progress and account to the desktop. I think this is the right strategic decision. Um, this is different than what the approach was for Wild Rift, which is League of Legends mobile, which actually has its own economy, its own progress, everything else. Um, and this seems like the optimal choice given the genre and the style of play. Um, but it will be interesting to watch the numbers. Set 3 and Battle Pass just launched. So let's see if they can actually re-engage their player base. Um, from the 10 cent financials that we actually reported on, I think on the last podcast, it sounds like it actually is a meaningful business for them, right? Like, although I wonder how much of their audience they can sustain and we know that they have problems monetizing, um, it seems like, um, it seems like it is a meaningful business overall for Riot. Um, it just doesn't seem like in terms of public numbers that previous sets were all that effective at pulling players back, which hints at problems of retaining that player base. So I, I think this is really, a um, a key time for team fight tactics where they can ramp up their cosmetics value and they try and, and, and they need to figure out their live content to retain their audience. Joe. Yeah. So I know we've haven't been too kind about the monetization on past podcasts. I know Eric, likely you're probably going to talk about the monetization issues and talk cannibalization. But from my perspective, I see a lot of upside, especially since, monetization is super hidden. It, it literally is where's Waldo to try to figure out how to spend money in the game. But I think beyond that, so I guess on the positive side, you can say that there's a lot of upside there, but I also think that I don't think squeezing every last dollar out of your lifelong committed user base is as important as maintaining the trust of your players. And, and I, I think that what we're seeing in terms of some of the the Twitch numbers and the interest in Riot Games is because their player base trusts them so much. So while we talk about potential to monetize more, leaving tons of money on the table and blah, 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 I really believe that the absolute revenue for this title should be very high because of all the monetization upside and should definitely be enough to support their teams and make but a lot what, of money. But what are you going to buy in this game? Yeah, I mean, like, like, like you have to have me, something. Tell me, tell me, it's like, there's nothing to buy. And I play this game daily. What are you going to buy? The, the game design itself, no matter who's doing it, yeah. is not allowing for... That's the big... Well, I, I will say this. There are auto chess games that are coming up with some pretty interesting things in terms of... I, I don't know what Riot's doing, but certainly other auto chess games are coming up with different approaches here. Reintroducing new monetization design into a game that's live 
is so much more harder, right? Because then you have yeah, to convince yeah. people There's to no spend economy. on stuff that they haven't had to spend before, right? <laughs> and so, and not to mention the fact your biggest audience is going to be obviously at launch anyway. And so, like, that happens all the time. Look at Clash of Clans. Well, no, yeah, but, but Clash of Clans were making insane money. Since yeah, the but everyone was used. To, they they, yeah, they still you, don't make near what they did. You can introduce new monetization systems that will drive the revenue up by 30% easily. No, no, no. Yeah. But their expectation was, as always, that they were going to spend, right? Because they've been spending ongoing for, for a long time. Yeah. Well, you introduce new things, right? But if you're not requiring spend initially, then asking them to convert going forward is, is going to be a real challenge. I, I don't think you guys understand the player, the fan of Riot. The fans of Riot want to spend money in that game. Like if you play a game a lot, even if you put something stupid, players will happily spend in the game to support it. So that's no. That, that, no. So are you not, saying they're gonna put in a donate button? It's not a donate <laughs> button, but you put put in something that's reasonable and people will pay. That's that's what I'm saying. But there's yeah, but, but I think I the want. fundamentals here, right? Like they're not gonna start introducing gameplay yeah. impacting items. So like when you're saying other auto chess games are introducing interesting monetization tactics. Are you still talking about cosmetics or are you talking about gameplay impacting items? It can't it can impact gameplay. The, the, game yeah. over, dude. <laughs> I have actually a, I have an idea. Let's just move forward with this. Let's I have an idea in my book. What how they could monetize. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Right. <laughs> so I have it. I just want to be clear here that like Actually, all the success is actually completely not disproving, but actually maybe proving my thesis here is that to the extent that they cannibalize against their monetizing game with all these other opportunities for the audience, it's going to be a huge problem for them, right? And, you know, maybe Riot is a benevolent developer, right, that wants to, you know, satisfy their customers, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know... This cannibalization is a real thing, and Tencent may be giving them a, a, a long leash on this stuff. But you know, the day is going to come when you know their revenue starts to decline overall because they're moving people from one game that doesn't to, that makes money to another, and and it, it's just not good business. So, so we'll see. I mean, I the good news is the game quality seems really high. They're definitely executing against that. The tech seems to be working so far, and that's really good because there was some concerns there. But if you go a game that makes $20 per user to a game that makes 50 cents per user, that's bad, right? That's, yeah. that's bad, right? And, and introducing new ways of spending in a game that no one is spending money on and that the expectation is set that, that you don't need to spend money in order to play, that's even more challenging, right? Um, so I don't know. What do you think, Mr. Mishka? I I have to go through my kind of player journey because I don't normally play these type of games. And as I said, I've churned from League of Legends all the time. It just wasn't wasn't my type of game. Started this one and and it was and it was crazy. The loading times were incredibly long. Like like in order for you to get to a match, you end up in the screen where nothing happens and it lasts for several minutes. There's absolutely no progression in this game. There's leagues when you play the ranked mode, but but that's not even surfaced anywhere. There's no social elements, so I can't really, you know, interact with my friends or find anybody. Uh, there is this one screen where you can add stuff, but but it's 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 kind of weird. And the one element that we we're talking about that there is absolutely no monetization elements, meaning that they don't really sell anything else except the battle pass, which is, you know, I've I've bought the Call of Duty battle pass, and that wasn't, you know, it's not going to blow your hair off. But there's some interesting stuff in this one. There's absolutely absolutely nothing interesting, nothing worth buying. 
And, um, and there's absolutely no need for monetization at any point. And each match lasts about 30 minutes. So you play a couple of two, three mass, matches a, a day. There's, there's no need to pay. And, and the weirdest part was that it was extremely difficult to understand. I'm saying these things. I'm going to lead to something. Like there's champions and they have these elements and classes and you have to find out synergies. Then, you know, that stuff is relatively straightforward. But then there's this whole wallet thing and the wallet generates interest. And there's these winning and losing streaks that affect how much money you're making per round and nothing is explained anywhere. And when you really think you're understanding something about the game, they introduce the item build that comes in in a late, late game, which is actually even more important than the type of characters you have. And there's absolutely no information anywhere on what kind of items you're crafting and what, like what are the combinations. So that leads to, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's really, really difficult game. Uh, <laughs> And I've been I've been struggling like crazy, and that led me to reading the mobile fire uh, pages. It led me to watching all these videos, and I'm talking to the friends who are playing in the, like platinum leagues and whatnot. And and this randomness that they have in the drafting system just forced me to play over and over again because I was telling myself that it's not my fault that I keep on losing. It's actually that I'm not just lucky, and um, and the depth kept increasing. So what I'm trying to say is, even though it's it's absolutely awfully designed from a, like a free-to-play perspective it's actually amazing and once you kind of get into it you can't stop playing like even now i'm just thinking about going home soon and and just just playing this game again so it's incredibly hooking that that whole depth pushes you to be extremely social even though the game doesn't have anything social in it and um yeah it's really good but it's missing the monetization so so i think the kind of a, like the one thing that this game could have that other games don't because it retains so well because it uh, because it has such an incredible depth it actually is pretty prime from a subscription type of model where they where you would access to a unique content in in addition to evolving benefits if you were a subscriber to this not a battle pass subscriber where you get the skins for your character or your game field because i guess i could buy some of those but that's not interesting i could buy two three uh, but you know, it's just nothing, nothing worthwhile. But if I would access unique characters, unique game modes, or or just leak tiers through a subscription model, I would definitely be paying. And I think this is the perfect type of game for that kind of a service. Okay. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I think subscription models are tough, but I mean, potentially because these loyal Riot fans will spend money on anything that made by Riot, so maybe a subscription <laughs> would work. <laughs> this is this is actually the, the one game where I would say it would work because you can add so much stuff in addition to the core game that they have. Uh, all the tournaments, all that kind of stuff can go under the subscription. And, and Riot doesn't try to monetize too hard this subscription. They'd be probably fine with $5 a month. And I'll be more than five fine paying $5 a month for years to come because this is such but, a fun game. But again, like we get come to the same point every time and Adam is like, now shaking his head the way I would at this point is that when you cap spend, you reduce yeah. your chances of LTVs that justify actually spending against the customer, right? So you cannot cap spend in that way. You spend sixty dollars versus six thousand, like it, it doesn't work that way. And but you're it, not but gonna... it doesn't mean it doesn't mean capping spend. Like you can still have microtransaction transactions even if you're a subscriber. But I'm just saying yeah. everything that would go in that subscription, right? Mm -hmm. Like think of all of that value. Right. And now you're yeah. capping access to things like tournament modes. And I thought like I thought in terms of free to play, we've we've learned this a thousand times. You don't cap access to engagement. Right. You drive as much engagement as you can to retain players. 
and I, then you 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 drive them off of microtransaction purchases. But I agree. But in in free to play, you have to have some kind of a progression that you're paying for. But in this game, there's absolutely no progression. Yeah, no, I, but that, I, that, 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 that's the whole point. Is that this game design is well, not I'm trying to fix it. I don't want this game to go away. I'm trying to come up with ideas. Game's not going anywhere. Don't yeah, worry. No, the game is going to be amazing. It's going to it's going to be amazing. Like people also, are going to play the crap out of this game. They're not going to spend a nickel, right? That's the problem. Right? <laughs> somebody so from Riot needs to tutor me. I've I've read everything. I watched all the videos. I haven't won a single game. I've been playing this for since well, season uh, actually, every I, day. I, yeah, I, I I didn't know what you were saying. Uh, this that makes more sense to me is that their experience on mobile is limited, so they don't really understand how to like onboard mm-hmm. you know, players and un- make yeah. them understand the gameplay. I mean, that's kind of an old, you know, a typical mistake that people make. You know, like, but hopefully they, they can fix that, right? I just yeah, yeah, they should. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not too worried about that. They can they can add that in. Although it, it's getting late, though. Yeah, my my sense here is like the auto chess world, right? The auto chess model. Riot has won it, right? Like Team Fight mm-hmm. Tactics is the top of that because they command such a large audience, right? They're going to do great at, in terms of maximizing its cosmetics inside that game, but it's not going to hit that much of a uh, a yield per player, right? Like you, you just can't drive that much cosmetic value from the game. So if we think about the strategy space as a whole, right, which includes Hearthstone, which includes Clash Royale, um, the, the games that are going to win in this space that are going to come up over auto chess are going to rethink that model. And I think like right now, cosmetics here is really capping auto chess as a model. Mm -hmm. And I think like when Joe says like, okay, people are thinking about new monetization principles, like, okay, can you actually merge in Hearthstone's card system with an auto chess, right? Can you rethink this model um, to think about new types of monetization here that can, um, you know, create create a new audience, create a new model and then grow that way. Well, maybe it's just Riot is just a benevolent developer, you know, that builds games to delight their customers <laughs> and are optimizing against the satisfaction of their customers and certainly wouldn't want to inconvenience them by making them pay for the content the company spent millions and millions and millions of dollars to build and protect the billions of dollars that are at risk with their core franchise. Maybe that's what it is. That's all it is, right? <laughs> yeah, okay, who's who's the sassy one this morning? Is, wow. Riot's <laughs> model is low RPPoo, high conversion, right? And so to think of them in terms of well behavior and high, highly like monetizing free to play games is, is the wrong way to think about Riot, in my, in my opinion. All right. I think, I think they will do well with TFT, but I don't think anyone else should enter into the auto chess space without fundamentally rethinking the model. I agree. Yes. No, yeah, that's 100%. 100% that. All right, next article. Amazon pushes into making video games, not just streaming their play. And according to the New York Times, Amazon is investing hundreds of millions of dollars into game development and distribution. They also announced their first game, a sci-fi shooter called Crucible. And it kind of looked like you're a raccoon running around with a gun. It sounds like the... Play here is really to try to integrate Twitch more into the gameplay itself where streamers can actually involve their audience more meaningfully somehow into the gameplay. And the article suggests this new type of interactive gameplay integrating Twitch will first, we'll first start to see starting from as early as this summer. And this is strategic for Amazon as they not only have core game services like their cloud infrastructure offerings such as AWS, but they also plan on launching a cloud-based gaming platform similar to Google Stadia, currently called Project Tempo. 
And they are also trying to push their game engine similar to Unreal and Unity called Lumberyard. And the article reports that Project Tempo was going to be launched this year, but now will likely slip to 2021 given coronavirus disruptions. And my own take on the game content part of this article is that, in my opinion, there is a fundamental disconnect between the types of technology-focused and execution-oriented businesses that Amazon operates in relative to an artistic discipline like games content. So for me, I'm concerned about the ability for their executives to understand what it takes to be successful and, and because they're bringing a technology perspective to an artistic field. So I feel this is the mistake that Google made with Stadia. And I think the other risk is that if you're, on the other hand, two hands off because you are a tech exec, not understanding the artistic side, there is a danger that teams just work on a bunch of random stuff without an overarching strategy or structure. But without knowing more about Amazon's gaming group, I would say that I'm personally skeptical about their ability to succeed here as a content player. Having said that, I think Amazon itself is one of the most amazing companies in the world, and I'm personally loading up on Amazon stock for all the other shit they do outside of gaming. Adam? Yeah. Um, the, the two games that you mentioned there, right? Like one's a PvP arena and one's an MMO. Um, I think even the PvP one's called Crucible, right? Which is literally sure. taken a mode from Destiny, which is called Crucible, their PvP <laughs> mode. Um, so I wonder what their actual result will be. Um, but do they actually realize like how hard it is to compete in these areas? Right? Like I, I can think of so many different games that have launched even over the last like what three, four years that have tried to go after the PvP space with competent, like extremely competent dev teams. Like you think about Battleborn, think about Lawbreakers. Um, all of these games that have attempted to go after this space and can't crack it, right? Like the, the caliber that's needed uh, to work in this space, especially when you think about it, like even just Valorant that we just talked about, like that is the minimum viable to compete in this space. Why would you change your company to, to try to work within this space? And on the MMO side, these games don't typically drive a lot of Twitch traffic. They just kind of get a few players talking about the new season at the beginning and then Twitch viewership drops off pretty quickly. So yeah, why not like sandbox teams? Why not something else, right? Like, I don't, yeah, it, it just seems odd to me that focusing on these two different areas and you're completely right. Like I'm, I'm very hesitant to assume that these guys will be able to, to come out of the gate with two hits in these two areas. And I think like Stadia really should have scared them away from launching this thing too early. They should make sure that their tech and their product value is very rock solid. Um, I don't know what it is now, but that's what I would say. Um, so I think the, the likely result here, and I realize I'm saying this early, like and, and on all two of these teams, they, they could be amazing teams, but the likely result here is that these games just become showcases for their tech. And Amazon, as they should, really just focuses on middleware, right? Like I would focus on cloud and content creators, right? Like helping devs have tool sets within their game specifically for content creators and focusing on cloud, like things like cross-platform tool sets, which are going to become increasingly important, right? Like do those two things, do them incredibly well, become the leader in that space, right? Um, and, and this can leverage your existing platform, Twitch, um, the best way you can. Eric? Um this is a really complicated thing, so I'm, I'm going to try to stay high level on this one as much as possible. 
so these guys started their studio back in 2012 and they have yet to ship a game. So they've been doing at it for a while and they have not spent a little small sum of money on this. They canceled Breakaway. Um, they have the Crucible New World game development as well as the Lord of the Rings MMO. Um, and I think there's like a couple more actually in development. Yeah, there's car game. Yeah. So they've uh, hired yeah. just a huge group of experienced developers. And frankly, I'm personally excited to see what New World looks like and Lord of the Rings MMO. I'm a MMO junkie. But I think the fundamental problem with Amazon in general is just they have conflicting priorities, right? You know, at a high level, they have the game development group competing against Lumberyard, which is the game engine they bought from Crytek. AWS, which is their hosting service, which is driving a lot of their upside in their business. Twitch, which is a broadcasting platform. And finally, the only thing that really matters is that Amazon is Prime, right? So selling Prime memberships. So the strategies of all these groups are impossible to align, right? It creates a very complicated political situation in which I think game development just takes a, a back seat. So if you're optimizing as a game developer, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, do you want to optimize against Twitch broadcasting? Do you want to optimize in using Lumberyard as an engine to showcase the tech? Do you want to show how amazing AWS is as a hosting service? Do you want to, or do you want to push prime memberships? You know, none of these strategies really have to do with anything about building an amazing game that, 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 that delights customers, et cetera. So anyway, it's just, this is the challenge, right? It's hard to be a creative force, you know, building what your vision and executing against the idea of what your game wants to be when your parent company is basically saying, you got to work with Twitch, you got to integrate Prime, you got you must use Lumberyard and you have to optimize against our AWS platform because it becomes complete mess, right, of conflicting priorities, right? So I'm not going to comment on Project Tempo anymore because I'm so sick of talking trash about streaming, but I think they are going to follow the same issues and, and problems that Stadia has. You know, they may have some competitive advantage because they do have teams in de developing games that could create the killer app, but I am unaware of such an experience that they may be building. I still think that Microsoft is going to win this uh, in, the, in the medium to long term if obviously they can create something compelling with Minecraft. Um, I just don't think Google or Amazon have much of a chance with, with streaming. And, you know, I kind of agree with you to some degree, um, Adam, about, you know, just building the backend tech. I mean, that makes sense to me. The problem is that you can't really drive the business forward, you know. And so I think what people really don't understand about Amazon in general is that they are just trying to expand Prime membership. They're trying to get more and more people involved in Prime, right? And so what gaming represents is a demographic that they do not actually have as much penetration as. Why do they acquire Twitch, you know, something that's losing hundreds of millions of dollars a year, right? It's because they want access to us. No, sorry. I'm so far out of this demo now, it's actually kind of embarrassing. But they want access to gamers, 18 to 44-year-old males, right? And that gives them that access. And that is worth its weight in gold, right? And so I'm not sure if providing tools and tech would actually achieve the ultimate goal, which is basically to expand Prime beyond uh, to the most the largest audience possible. So anyway, that's like kinda... In the case of, say, like Raid Shadow Legends, right? Like they have a partnership with Raid that if you have Prime, you get benefits within their game, right? Like why create the content themselves versus mm -hmm. create a, a network of partnerships with a number of already successful developers, right? Who own their content side, own their creative sides. 
um, build the tool sets and even give grants to developers to implement them to make sure that then when those switch on, that you have the right partnerships in place and that they're already integrated into Twitch. They can already create that value for Prime, right? Like I think it's about creating a wide network and I think you're only shooting yourself in the foot by having to create that content yourself. You're a smart man, Adam. Yeah, that, that is clearly Joe, that, not the that's strategy. That's why I need, I need a, that middle thing, right? Like I need that middle name, Joe. <laughs> Adam the smart no but this is this is weird like they're investing so much money I was kind of like going through this AWS Twitch the cloud gaming platform Eric doesn't want to talk about Lumberyard uh, and now like these multiple like massive game studios with Crucible is it Crucible how do you pronounce it Crucible and it doesn't matter New World Lord of the Rings Grand Tour they even making interactive games on Twitch uh, you know, that kind of maybe makes sense. I don't know. I haven't seen it. So it's kind of becoming like a creator, distributor, marketer, technology provider, all at the same time and winning kind of at all facets. So it, it seemed, you know, Joe was talking about this, but but the challenge is that like if you have so much money, if you have so much investment money, that doesn't create any kind of bottlenecks and it doesn't kind of limit you in any ways on the contrary. And and I think this lack of limitations in, in resources kind of leads of, leads to lack of innovation and, and Eric you were talking about their teams that are built with a lot of money uh, hiring the best possible talent and they've been working since 2012 on all, all these various games that haven't succeeded it's kind of like you know what kind of teams are they uh, if, if they're being kind of bought in from from freelancers instead of you know studios that were already succeeding that were acquired and and in the end it kind of leads to a question also on twitch so are these games that they're now building, are they some, somehow like prioritized on top of the carousel? Uh, should, you know, Riot, Valve, Epic, EA, and Activision, or those who are, whose games are more prominent on Twitch, should they consider, you know, switching to other platforms, supporting something else? And, and in the end, when you look at the portfolio that, that Amazon is bringing, to, you know, to me, it felt kind of vanilla, like, you know, a hero shooter that has been redesigned multiple times. Seems like a fast follow to, to overwatch and kind of changing from that and changing to this and kind of destiny but kind of this new world i looked at the gameplay i, I don't know I'm, I'm not an mmorpg player it looks like um kind of like dark souls with um with you know with with mmo element to it and yeah it, it didn't feel like like something that you know that you invested hundreds of millions and you can't wait to to play it so it, it's weird, as Adam said. Like they're they're investing into content creation where where they have everything else instead of instead of a platform and, and the engine. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. I think um, you know they they have some challenges, but we'll <laughs> I'm excited for any type of Lord of the Rings game though because I'm a dork. But um, <laughs> see if they can execute against it. All right, the final story, or is this the final story? It's second oh, the final. second to final story. Oh. All right, let's do this quick. Um, basically, uh, Microsoft said a staggered launch would hurt Xbox Series X launch. So basically, one of the questions I have to keep getting asked by my clients is whether or not these consoles are going to come out this year. And I am very confident that they will come out this year. And so this article kind of confirms my thinking on around it is that Basically, Spencer, who leads the Microsoft effort, had this interview with IGN. He basically said that the Xbox Series X is on track. There's no plan B. Um, and that like split shipping, which basically means you sell to different territories, would be really bad for Xbox. 
Uh, he said also that the supply chain is coming back online in China, which again, bodes well for their target of releasing this year. Um, he also said, which is a little bit surprising, that even if they had to delay Halo Infinite, that would unlikely result in a delay in the hardware launch. So it seems like he's super committed to getting this console out, regardless of like their flagship <laughs> content won't be there. And he said that it will be available this year. Um, I think in some ways he's basically saying it's all or nothing, right? You either do a worldwide ship uh, with, a su with a sufficient set of hardware or postpone it completely. Um, and split shipping is, is been, has been a disaster historically. I had to like actually kind of like dust off my memory here, but you know, the PS3 shipped in both North America and Japan in November and it didn't ship till Europe like four, four months later in March, five months later. And it was a disaster, right? The people, Europe, Europeans were so pissed off, right? And that, and that was actually one of their worst um, shipments, you know, the worst launches ever for Sony. And even PS4 was only a few weeks later in, the, in, in Europe and the Europeans were up in arms about it. Um, so there's basically history there. And I think he's kind of, kind of referring to those type of things. And Xbox One um, was <laughs> released simultaneously in North America and Europe, but a released later in Japan. And, and he mentioned Japan, Japan in this article. And I don't even know why we're still talking about Japan. Like Microsoft cannot win in Japan, right? First of all, they don't have the brand. They don't have the content. And the market is actually very weak for console in Japan anyway, so it should not be a strategic focus. So I don't know why he's bothering with that. But um, what I think he's most likely worried about is, is, a, is a simultaneous ship for North America and Europe. Um, and they must have enough hardware to at least cover both, which is around somewhere between four and six million units is probably where they need to be. Um, and the good news, and, and I think what's good for the publishers and, and the industry as a whole, is it looks like, from his perspective, the supply chain looks solid enough to get these games out and locked and loaded for release, holiday release. But things could change on the ground. Clearly, you know, the doom and gloomers will say that there's going to be a new outbreak and then everything's going to shut down in China and the world's going to end and then we're going to go into, you know, oblivion. But um, for the most part, I'm glad that he's kind of out there kind of reassuring people that they'll have their new consoles and all the people that are going to buy these things off the shelves will be happy and content. What do you think, JK? So I'm hearing at best, there's very limited supply for holiday release. And there are a few folks who are saying that they're, they're, they will miss holiday window, meaning not only Microsoft, but Sony as well. So I, I don't know, from what I'm hearing, it does seem like plan A is most likely a limited staggered launch and plan b really is to miss entirely but we'll, we'll see what happens we'll see but certainly every game launch as in a hundred percent of hd games are delayed because you literally cannot work from home and build hd games that's that's not true joseph that is not the, i i've really? talked to like a dozen people in industry and no one no one is I'm saying when you're saying, ever I, I all the titles that I've, I've talked to people about are all locked and loaded and and going to come out Right. I, I, the only game that's at risk is CD Projekt, I think, for this year. Okay, I, I'm I'm hearing the opposite, but uh, yeah, we'll see. All right, we'll it will have an line. of course, of course, it has an impact because it's not it's not just that you're working from home, but it's like if you have kids, it fucks up everything because well, no, but you, know, you need the like high high end rendering machines, workstations, and shit. Like, but work. they can be delivered to home. That's not an issue. Like the company just delivers your machine home. All right. I'm more of a mobile guy, but that, that's just what I've been hearing. So I don't know. It sounds like my take on this is it sounded like this is more of a PR action for 
of Microsoft and Phil Spencer to get people warmed up to potentially some bad news coming up. And certainly just, you know, I was reading one of Sir Contoto's uh, tweets this morning, how on the Sony side, Sony has asked 20,000 employees to start working from home, including folks from the PlayStation team, just given that coronavirus has just spiked like crazy recently in Japan. So I, I definitely think there's um, some risk here for hardware. Any other thoughts, guys? Or should we move on to our last article? I didn't even know that you marked this as the last article. I'm so right. delighted. Let's do it. So <laughs> for our last article, we'll be covering a blog post from the Iron Source Level Up Medium blog called The Kick-Ass Founding Team, written by our very own Mishka Katkoff. So Mishka, rather than having me do a summary of the article that you wrote, can you walk us through maybe uh, first why you felt it was important to write about this topic, and then it'd be great for you to walk us through the, the key points from the post. Yeah. Um, so kudos for, for Iron Source Level Up for, for, uh, for publishing this one. Why did I start writing it? Uh, it was actually pretty simple. Ruben for Iron Source actually asked about some stuff regarding uh, startups, and this was the sort of a topic that, that I felt uh, was very interesting to me uh, because, well, because Joe, you've been raising money, Adam has raised money, and the kind of like the always the key question there was not the idea, but always the uh, the investor were saying like we're investing into the team, not the idea. Um, actually, well, it's both. So I wanted to kind of study what is a team that gets money, and and yeah, and I just talked to to of course the Play VC guys, and I talked to Joachim, a few other ones, and that kind of created the sort of framework. So uh, number one thing was that the people had worked together, and and the reason for that is that well, ninety five percent of the of the games fail, especially mobile games. And if you have worked together, that means you just have you understand each other better, um, and you have likelihood to succeed uh, on your second try or your third try. So so that makes sense. And plus, just ways of working are totally different. And this is my experience as well, uh, working with people. Uh, who I've known from from previous projects, working them in the next project, you can kind of fix a lot of things that weren't working before and you're starting from the beginning. Uh, the second part was having cognitive diversity. And, you know, there are examples of, of gaming studios that are set up by, by business, business development guys, and, and they usually tend to struggle more than the ones that have teams where where you have a CTO that is, you know, more more multidisciplinary, so understands games, but also the business side of it and is self-aware enough to take feedback. Uh, that has a strong uh, technical co-founder who at the early stages is able to be hands-on, but able to also look forward. Um, then, you know, an art director is, is in my opinion, really important early on because it allows you to, to start at the visual development and the concepting, which enables you to do early market testing. And through that, actually create a game with a better IPM and better marketability instead of going the rabbit hole with a wrong theme, like sci-fi or something like that. And, and depending on the type of game you're making is, you know, sometimes you need a designer if it's a more deeper meta game or you just, uh, or, you know, it's a, or the CEO is, is not the, uh, the designer type and performance marketing person or a data scientist, of course, depending on the type of games you make, if they're really fast to make and, and they are uh, relying on, on, on short ROASs and, and, and that type of stuff like hyper casual idle, it makes sense to have a performance marketing person and a data scientist already in your founding team. The other couple of things that that rose up was especially when talking to Joachim uh, from Elite Game Developers. He was like in our podcast as well. He was he was explaining the struggle of of flying solo, so starting his own company, his first company without co-founders, and kind of bearing all the um, 
all the weight on himself instead of having somebody else to talk to. Uh, but also talking to VCs, they said it's, you know, companies with a single founder, they're more hard to sell uh, because, you know, one person is is not, it's just not versatile enough. And, and it, you know, buyers expect a little bit bigger ones. And finally, it's it's checking egos at the door. So not expecting to succeed and not expecting to, I mean, expecting to succeed, but but being just, being just understanding of what it takes. So, Adam, what do you think about this list? You've you've gone through this. Yeah, overall, I think it's a good list. I think it, you're right in terms of the co-founding team being, of course, multidisciplinary and complementary. Um, like uh, uh, the, the the Chatterbox team, so Auntie and I, uh, we overlap mm-hmm. quite a bit on product, uh, which meant that uh, whenever we were talking product stuff, it was much more of a discussion. I think in an optimal sense, you'd have a more of a complementary team where you have product leader, you have a technology leader, you have a design, you have a creative or artistic mm-hmm. leader, right? Uh, in each one um, that can each own their area, um, but of course still challenge each other across it. So I think that's kind of more optimal setups. Yeah. How about Joe? You've been building a team. Yeah, well, trying. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But What's um, the talk about the controller? I, I saw a LinkedIn <laughs> post. No comment. It, God damn it. <laughs> are you building a peripheral going, team. Like, come on. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's a great article, Mishka. We'll have a link to, to oh, get wow. the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta cut that point out. All right. So no controller talk. <laughs> you put it on linkedin dude what do you expect yeah happen? yeah it's, it's okay. come on that was a public thing anyways thank you this was a pleasure i think we're recording a podcast tomorrow again oh yeah, yeah. that's right yeah oh, well yeah so all right i think all that's right. it unless anyone's got any final comments subscribe ask questions uh, sent notes we do get like i i got some notes again through linkedin through dm so people don't want to don't want to openly uh, state their names. They, my DMs were talking about, can we talk more about admonization? We don't know much about admonization. Just tell us what to talk about and we'll bring it up. But we're not expert in admonization. Did you guys see that uh, Voodoo is for sale? It is? Why? Yeah, there, there was a rumor about Voodoo being for sale. Huh. Um, anyway. But Hypercasual is, is doing so well. Yeah, it's freaking... <laughs> crushing it dude um but no uh, one thing on feedback right like we've got twitter um we've got linkedin comments this type of thing um but we do we do you know have our feedback from the from the upper rafters um just kind of throwing <laughs> throwing our feedback throwing our hate on, on a bunch of different projects and teams and we would actually really appreciate people to uh, give us feedback especially where we're wrong where we they believe that we should uh take another look at um just so we can actually address that on each each episode yeah for sure and we'd be happy to bring somebody on who has a different perspective and point of view because i think it's really important to explore all sorts of different perspectives on gaming and so we'd be happy to do that and like jeff cohen like Jeff Cohen needs to come back because he was, <laughs> I, I, I actually oh, listened to the last episode and you guys were talking about these two scenarios and he didn't take into account that all the LTV models are going to go haywire. So you can't actually invest into anything because there's so much volatility and it's not either like, am I going to press gas or I'm going to take some savings? It was just like, come on, like <laughs> we don't need, we don't know what's coming after the next turn. We can't invest on like 
three-year paybacks now. Yeah. Well, I've been on the phone with Jeff about a lot of things recently, particularly about this uh, the glue call about mm-hmm. Disney Sorcerer Arena, which is making like 50 cents per unit per download, which looks like a train wreck and it's starting to fall. So I think we... I am right about this one, so we'll we'll see in in uh, in a few weeks whether or not they can turn that around. No, I like Jeff. I think I think he comes from a different that that perspective of an analyst. But yeah, we'll bring him on, and yeah. we'll talk trash about something. I don't oh, know. Oh, we what. didn't mention there's the new Kabam Disney game too, which sounds like it's going to be the same thing. I, as what is, the what is human as the? I actually I, I called Kabam last week about it. I'm like, what the. F- fuck are you thinking right it's like there's like three or four iterations of this exact same thing and each have done the exact same thing and i'll tell you i downloaded the game for the philippine philippines it's freaking beautiful like it yeah. is amazingly beautiful like I, I there's no doubt those guys know what they're doing with that but dude that game is going to get be a disaster you know it's like disney slinging their ip like it's like crazy well and that's what they're in the business of doing right all they yeah, want but, is but, minimum guarantees they make so much freaking money on these things because they don't care whether the game's successful but right? but at least like in, uh, with other ips they would they would say like okay you get the rpg so nobody else can get an rpg for three years and so forth yeah, yeah. but then this one it's like oh you want to make an rpg cool story <laughs> yeah, everybody yeah, can make yeah, a disney yeah. rpg we don't give a fuck i don't know man Oh my God. Unless you're Star Wars or Marvel, stop making turn-based RPGs or, you know, build something like Raid, which is more fantasy-based. It's just using these, like Looney Tunes (laughs) did the same game (laughs) and like, it just doesn't make sense, you know? it's just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if it's you have a, people, yeah. it's just these licensors. Uh, uh, I, I, I've talked to these licensors before. I, I see what their calculus is, right? It's just like, all right, you want to give me $9 million to make this game that we don't think, <laughs> we don't care whether it's successful? Sure. You know? Anyway, it's, it's, it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. It is hilarious. And, um, and, and, you know, Cowan just wrote a note about this Disney Sorcerer's game saying, oh, what a what strong start it's going. It's like, oh my God, dude, please just stop. Just stop. <laughs> so, we should definitely get somebody from Glue on board here to actually have a candid discussion about how the game is going. Yeah, uh, open there's, invitation. There's no way in hell. Like Nick, the CEO, basically <laughs> pumped this thing up so much over the last you know year. And then like two months ago, he started like, oh, downplaying. Oh, well, no, we can't spend any money against this. You know, it's just, you know, we're just hoping for organics, you know, like, yeah, it's over, dude. It's over. <laughs> All right, and on oh, that and positive that, note, <laughs> that is a, that is a note to end it with. Um, uh, I think the Cap Sports baseball is going to do well. Oh, by the way, this is the question that I have. So. Glue is coming out with a baseball game. Uh, of course, EA has all their sports games. How are those sports games going to do now that there's no season ongoing? Well, that's the big concern I have, frankly. I don't, I'm not really worried about Madden and FIFA being ready for launch, as Joseph seems to be. I think the biggest concern is if there's no seasons, how is that going to impact sales? And some people would argue that because there's no season, then that would give more you know, attention to the games. I am not on that camp. I think if there's no season, then there's no real interest and there's certainly no live ops that are driving engagement yeah. right which is a key part of most of the monetization design particularly after the sale so um so i'm a little bit worried about that but i think financially there's just no way in god's green earth that <laughs> that the nfl and fifa are not having a season this year like there's so much money at stake with this that they will either Either open it up stadiums. or just have empty stadiums. One of the two, right? Because there's just no way 
like there's you know the broadcasting rights the advertising rights you you can't you can't do that like it's just not possible so yeah. i think there will be a season and i i and i and i think you know the games are going to do fine and i think people will there'll be still a lot of people that are staying at home you know and and being less uh you know less out there so i think that's still a good thing for video games and i and i think all these games are going to get out right and and I'm not too worried about execution of going. I mean, these guys are on on a treadmill, right? They've been making these games for like 20 years, right? They can't, they can, they can adjust to get a game out like this. Maybe some of the next year's games may be at risk. And I'm going to talk to Joseph after after this if he knows anything juicy. But I'll tell you what I heard. So, okay. yeah. but oh, um, wow. but anyway, I, I yeah. We should have a Patreon account where Joseph has just like a shadow podcast where he, <laughs> where he tells everything. The, the shit talk podcast. <laughs> no, 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 no. All the rumors. Oh, yeah. The rumor podcast. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, have a good right, week. We're Stay done. safe. Stay home. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.